invite you to turn to Acts chapter 3. We're going to be camping out in Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Now, I hope you guys had a good Thanksgiving week. I just want to let you know that tomorrow morning, Pastor Dennis and I will be having a post-Thanksgiving Day fast slash workout program. If any of you like me, you gained about 10 pounds on Thursday, and you got to figure out how to get it off. Y'all are supposed to laugh at that. <laughs> oh, come on now. I know, I know how Thanksgiving is. My, uh, my pant size went up about two sizes in about three days, so i got to fix that this week. I love Thanksgiving, but man, it will do a toll on you. Anyway, it's good to be here with you this morning. So excited to enter into the official Christmas season. And the title of this morning's sermon is The Unexpected Gift. You see, in Christmas season, one of the most important things that we hear and see about is this idea of gifts. We receive all types of gifts, some funny gifts, some serious gifts, everything from socks and underwear and toys and TVs, and we're constantly receiving gifts. And also, one of the most fun things about Christmas is giving gifts, giving gifts to people that you love. And today, we're going to look at one of the most beautiful passages that I believe to be in all of the scripture. We're going to look at the story of a lame man, a man who was hurt, a man who lived a broken life, a man who didn't have much to give. And you see, every day in this man's life, he would sit outside of the temple as a lame beggar, and people would walk past him every day. And you see, what they would do is they would present gifts to him, maybe a trinket here or a few bucks there, and they'd just throw all these different things. And while that was very kind of them to do, the gifts that they were giving him weren't what he needed. You see, the gifts that they were giving, they affected his current temporary life, and they helped put a Band-Aid over it, but at the end of the day, the gifts that they were giving did not fix the problem. Folks, I don't know if you realize, but every day when you get out of bed and you begin to walk through life, you begin to encounter people that are hurting, just like that lame man. People that are crying out for help, looking for hope. And too many times in life do we just throw empty gifts at them, just because oh, it looks cool, or I'll go like this, and we're handing out all these empty gifts, when in the meantime, the things that we're giving them are not really what they need. They're not really things that matter. And little did this lame beggar know that one day, waking up, they could be just an ordinary, another day, hoping to collect a few bucks. Little did he know that he had a divine appointment. Holy Spirit. Watch this video.
results. Anything to give? Alms? Look on us. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. you pray with me this morning. Father, as we open your word right now, God, may we see and understand what it means to see those who are hurting around us. God, as we dive into this beautiful story, this picture of the gospel, God, would you speak to us now? In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to start off in verse 1, and we're just going to walk through this passage verse by verse this morning. Verse 1 says this, it says, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, the first thing that I want us to realize and chew on this morning is this. Your personal ministry will only go as far as your personal devotion to the good shepherd. So, well, Joseph, what do you mean by that? What I'm telling you is what you put in is what you will get back in return. You see, one of the first things that jumps off the pages at me, looking at this story of Peter and John, is their devotion to prayer. And I started dissecting this word devotion, and it means love, loyalty, or enthusiasm for a person or an activity. You see, folks, your personal relationship with Jesus is more important than everything that you could ever have in your life. I know a lot of times we say that and it sounds good, but do we really understand it? You see, your personal walk with Christ is more important than your physical health. It's more important than your achievements. It's more important than your profession. 
or it's more important than any knowledge, amount of knowledge that you can ever gain? Why is that? Because your walk with Christ is what determines how effective you will be for the kingdom of God. It's what determines the type of Christian that you will be. It's what determines the amount of influence that you will have as a leader, wherever God has planted you. It's the thing that determines the type of husband that you will be to your wife and to your family. It's what determines the type of loving wife you will be to your husband and to your children. The type of teacher or leader or son or daughter or grandparent that you will be. And you see, Peter and John, they understood this. See, Peter and John were found together very often. Before, actually, before they came to disciples, they were partners in the fishing business. And they were also a part of God's inner circle. We like to call them the biblical three amigos, okay? Peter, James, and John. And their prayer life was so important that they would go to the temple three times a day. And if you look at the text, it says they would go at 3 p.m. Now, if you look at the Jewish tradition, they had three prayer times that they would go to the temple daily. They'd go at 9 They'd go at 12 and at 3. And we see this in Daniel in the Old Testament. And so this is something that they would do. Now, as we walk through the story, we learned about this thing called the shofar. You remember what the shofar is? The ram's horn that uh, multiple times a day that they would blow into the horn, the horn that you heard as he was walking up to the gate. And what this sound was is it would symbolize a lamb being slaughtered for the sin of the people. And what it was is it was a daily sacrifice. But here's the cool part. Twice a day at 9 and 3, those two times of the prayer time and the shofar and the sacrifices, they would coincide together. So for them, this was a daily routine. It was a part of their personal devotion to Christ, devoting themselves to prayer. Folks, as Christians, our ministry... Ineffectiveness will only go as far as our time with the Lord. You see, this isn't something that I can do for you. I can't spend more time with God for you. Your Sunday school teacher or Pastor Dennis, he can't spend more time in prayer or in God's word for you. This is something that only you can do. It's got to be personal. It's got to come from within. You see, our personal time with Christ is so important that it is what fills us when we're empty and we have nothing else to give. It's what picks us back up off the ground when we fall and life stomped all over us. It's what puts us back together when all of our pieces of life feel cracked and shattered and broken. Our personal walk with Christ, it's what teaches us how to become holy when we go from death to life. We're a new creation. God, I'm learning how to become holy. I'm learning how to be like you. It's what teaches us to obey God's word. It's what teaches us to pray without ceasing. It's what teaches us how to lead and how to serve and how to love where God has planted you in your life. It's what teaches us not only how to take, but also how to give back and how to invest in others, invest in those that God has placed in your life. It's what teaches us how to be content in all things. Like the Apostle Paul says, whether well-fed or hungry, our personal walk with Christ is what helps us become mature Christians. 
who have a heavenly perspective and focus on the things above. Our walk with Christ is what guides us when we're lost. So we know that it's important for kingdom's sake. But why else is our personal walk with Christ so important? John tells us in chapter 10, a verse that many of you know. It says, the thief has come to not only to steal, kill, and destroy. For I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And if you skip down about four verses, Jesus says, for I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know my Father, I lay my life down for my sheep. Folks, the life that we live is tough. And if we don't follow the good shepherd, sure enough, we will get lost. Let's continue in the text. Look at verse 2 with me. It says, Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. Now, a little bit about this lame man. We know that he was over the age of 40. We know that he had paralysis of the heels and of the ankles, which means he was unable to walk. And he was basically, basically considered a poor and second citizen. You see, when people were disabled during this time, they were looked down on. And a person with a defect, they actually weren't even allowed into the temple. That's why in that video when you saw it, that was the first time that man in 40 years of his life had ever stepped foot in the temple. And each day of his life, someone would have to pick him up, bring him to the temple, and set him on the steps. And many during this time actually believed that the reason why people had disabilities was because of some of the sin that had happened in their family previously, maybe from a parent. So we see their daily routine. The poor beggar, they'd go to three places. They'd go to the houses of the rich, they'd go to the highways, and they would go to the temple. Why would they go to the temple? Because during the Jew, in the Jewish faith, the rabbis taught that there were three pillars of their faith. The Torah, the worship, temple worship, and charitable giving, or what he said, alms. So the beggars, they said, hey, there's thousands of people coming in a day, and they're being taught to give and be generous, so that's where they would go. Now, we know that there were nine different gates at the temple, and we're told that he sat at the gate called Beautiful. I love that. Now, this gate, let me tell you guys, this gate was huge. It was massive. It was a whole 75 feet high. This gate called Beautiful was made out of Corinthian bronze, and it looked like gold. As a matter of fact, the door, it was so tall that it took 20 men to pick it up and close it. So this was a prime spot for beggars. Let's look at verse 3. It says, When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from him. The second point I want us to look at this morning is that when you walk with the good shepherd, he will put people in your path. You see, the disciples, they didn't have much money. Okay, You've got to think, Jesus ascended into heaven, Acts chapter 1. 
We see the day of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit comes and, and um, uh, the disciples are being persecuted. So the church is just scattered. So they're all just trying to barely make it. They're actually sharing their money. They're living together. They're helping meet others' needs. So Peter and John, they didn't have anything to give. But what does Peter do? He does something a little bit weird. He commands the beggar. He says, hey, you, I want you to look at us. Okay, this is a little bit weird. If we went to lunch or we went and had coffee and we're just sitting there and I, I looked at you and said, hey, I want you to look at me. He'd be like, man, this is a little bit uncomfortable. But that's what Peter did. Peter looked at him and it, the Bible says he gazed into his eyes. Why? Why did he do that? Because, you see, beggars were constantly looking to the next and looking to the next and seeing what all they could get. He said, hey, you, I want you to look at me because I've got something to say. Folks, when you walk with the Lord, he will put people in your path. You want to know what it looks like to be in sync with the good shepherd? When you're walking with the good shepherd, a few things will happen. The first is you will walk with open eyes. You see, when you walk with Jesus, the way you see things in life change. See, sometimes, mistakenly in life, what we do is we get so focused on whatever it is we're doing, and we get tunnel vision. We get focused on work, and family, and sometimes church, and all these different things, and we get so focused on the goal, and pushing forward, and we got to do this right. And in the meantime, we're walking with blinders on, and there's hurting people that are crying out for help all around us in our life, but we can't see them because we're so focused. Or whatever it is that we're doing. See, when you walk with Jesus, you begin to walk with open eyes. That means you take off the physical, earthly lens that we see. We see life through a certain way. We see money, and we see uh, joy, and we see uh, satisfaction through an earthly perspective. But when you walk with the Good Shepherd, and you change your, your perspective, and you put on a spiritual lens, it changes the way you see things. It changes the way you see people. It changes the way you think about money, the way you think about your relationships, the way you think about your job. So when you see some of these people, you don't just see it as, oh, Johnny down the road or, oh, sister here. You see it as, no, that's the person that's hurting, that has no friends, that has no hope. And you begin to see the areas in their life that they're broken. And God said, I have placed you there so that you can be a minister to them. So when you see people, how do you see them? You see them from an earthly perspective or from a heavenly perspective? Lost or saved? Fixed or broken? Jesus or no Jesus? Look at verse 6. Verse 6 says, Then Peter said, I love this, one of the most beautiful phrases in all of the Bible, Silver and gold I do not have. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Verse 7 says, taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. 
When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement for what had happened to him. Folks, the third point is this. The good shepherd gives us the authority to speak in his name. Not just in any random name, but the name above every name. The name of Jesus. See, Jesus' Hebrew name was Yeshua. This literally means that the Lord saves. He is our deliverer. He is our Savior. And folks, I'm here today to tell you that when you speak the name Jesus, things begin to happen. I love that song. There's just something about that name. Peter didn't say, hey, I want you to get up and walk in the name of Peter. He didn't say that. He didn't say, I want you to get up in the name of Paul and walk. No. He said, I want you to get up and walk in the name of Jesus. Folks, there is power in Jesus' name, supernatural power that you and I on our own, we can't tap into. And you see, when you become a Christian, you are now able to pray and speak by his authority. Say, well, how do you know that? One of the most famous passages that this church is built on, Matthew 28, 8. Most of us know it to say, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teach and obey. But the part that we often skip in the church is the very, very beginning. It says this. It says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And he is now giving it to us. Folks, I want to paint a picture for us. Read this with me on the screen. Speaking in Jesus' name, it would be like a bride coming from abject poverty to marry a wealthy husband. At that point, the woman takes the name of her husband and all that it entails. She no longer acts in her name, but in his. Jesus has literally given us his name. When we use that name, we're confessing that he is ours and we are his. It's like going to the bank of heaven, knowing I have nothing deposited. If you go in your name, you will get absolutely nothing. But Jesus Christ has unlimited funds in heaven's bank, and he has granted us the privilege of going to the bank with his name on our checks. To do something in the name of Jesus is to act constant with his will, to do what he would do as if he was here, to act in his authority and with his delegated power. Folks, that's what comes with the name of Christ. Notice it said with delegated power. That means power that's being handed over to us. So the reality is today that we have authority to speak in his name. Let's continue in the story. You see, not only did the lame man respond physically, but we also know that he responded spiritually. If you skip down a few verses in verse 16, it says this. This is beautiful. It says, by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see, talking about the lame man, and now was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that he is completely healed in him, as you now can see. 
Man, what a beautiful, unexpected gift this was. This lame man probably woke up on a random day just thinking, man, I don't even know how I'm going to get through the day. I'm just hoping to collect a few bucks, but little did he know that he had the most unexpected gift imaginable. Little did he know that he would gain salvation, had a divine appointment with the Son of God. So what does this mean for us today? What does this mean? How do we take this story as a church and apply it to our lives? We talked about when you're in sync with the Good Shepherd, a few things happen. We said the first is that you begin to walk with open eyes. The second thing is that when you are following the Good Shepherd, you begin to walk with open hands. You see, this story highlights that there are hurting people all around us. And folks, it is a sobering thought to think that we come and we do this every week. We have a religious gathering. We come and sing praises to his name. Yet we walk out these doors and we see hurting people all around us and we continue to walk by. See, as we walk through life, you and I have a choice. Because there's going to be times in your life where God's going to prick your heart. And his Holy Spirit's going to lead you. And that Spirit's going to say, hey, I want you to go. I want you to move. Maybe it's that homeless person, that beggar that sits on the, the road that you go to every week to get to work. Maybe it's that neighbor or that friend who you're having conversation with and you're deciphering through and you feel like they're dropping hints and they're asking you to, to, to share what, what you have with them. But you're just not sure. And you know, I'll be honest, there's times in my life where God is speaking and then there's times where God isn't. If I walk past a homeless person or a person who's in need, I don't have to go every time, but I follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. So when God says go, go. If God's not leading you, don't go. And it makes me wonder this question. Are we ever disobedient when God tells us to go? Do we ever disobey God's command? You see, because in a society that's all about numbers, God's not interested in the number that we reach, the number that we teach, or the number that we disciple, but he's interested in how faithfully we seize those opportunities for ministry. Now, some of you may be saying, whoa, hold on, Joseph. Like, I hear what you're saying and all, but you don't understand. That's kind of out of my comfort zone. Just walking up to a stranger, cold turkey, and just, hi, if you, uh, uh, if you were to die today, do you know the Lord? I, I don't know about all that. That's, that's not really, I, I, I get that we're supposed to share a faith, but just, I don't know if I'm any good at that. You know what i got to say to you? That's okay. Because when God says go, it's not a failure if it doesn't always result in salvation. It's not. Sharing your faith, hear me, sharing your faith is more than inviting somebody to church or asking them if they know where they're going to go when they die. It's more than that. Too many years in church we've been told that's what it is. No, evangelism is more than that. Many times in life we may share our faith or we may just begin to, begin to mention God. And God says, hey, I don't want you just to have a one-stop encounter. I want you to continue to revisit the will. I want you to continue to build this relationship. That person that checks you out every day for your coffee. Don't just talk to them one time. No. Keep going back. Keep building. Keep sharing. Get to know them. 
You see, folks, we live in a society of one-stop encounters. You know and I know it. I'm constantly getting hit up, see something in the mail, or somebody knocking on my door, or something trying to sell me something. And just like you, I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't want any of that. And let me tell you, our, this generation, this young generation, they're the same way. They're constantly getting hit up with one-stop encounters. They don't care about that. They want to see that you care. They want to say, they say, hmm, let's see. Well, they, they, I understand they're going to come the first time because they have an agenda that they're trying to fix me or whatever it is that they want to do. But will they come back a second time or a third time? Or maybe when they start to see a little bit of my baggage. Let's see if they come back then. Jesus says, hey, no, I want you to keep pouring day after day. Because you know what? If you keep throwing that seed, like we hear about in the parable of the sower, one of those days, it's going to catch in the soil. And the seed's going to be planted. And somebody's going to meet Jesus. Or maybe, here's the thing, it may not even come in your lifetime. You may spend a lifetime witnessing, sharing your faith with somebody. And it may never come to fruition. But you know what? God can take that same relationship. And maybe one day when you're dead and gone, there may be another you who comes and keeps pouring and keeps sowing away. And maybe that person may come to faith. You see, living with an open heart means that we use the relationships that God has given us to share our faith. All of you, we all have the relationships. It's just a matter of if we utilize them or not. So what does it mean to use your relationships? God says, hey, I'm giving you a story. I brought you out of somewhere. Not so that you can just keep it bogged up inside so that you can share it with others. He says, I want you to share your testimony. Not only that, I want you to share your life. This is what we call relationship evangelism. Don't just preach at them. Bring them into your home. Bring them into your family so you can say, hey, this is what it looks like to be a follower of, the, of Jesus. This is what it looks like to follow the good shepherd every day. Folks, there are people that sit near our gates and on the edges of our church or society and we're looking for healing. And as a church, we're not just called to minister to those who look like us or to those who believe, but we're called to minister to everybody. Not just the preachers or the pastors. No, everybody. This passage calls us as individuals to reach out to the lonely, to the hurt, to the brokenhearted. Some of you may be saying, Joseph, like I hear you all, but man, that's a mighty big check you're asking me to write. I don't know if they cash that check in. I don't know if I've got all those funds to be able to deliver like that. You know what I got to tell you? It is okay. You know why? Jesus says, hey, you can put whatever amount you want on the check. Why? Because it's not your name that's endorsing it. It's not your name that you're going in. It's my name. And through my name, you can do more than you could ever imagine. Jesus never asks us to give what we do not have. But he does ask us to give what we do have. Folks, some of you may be saying, you know, if we're being honest, I really don't have much to give. I don't have much money, silver and gold, I ain't got that. I don't have much food. I don't have that nice of possessions. And friends, I'm here today to tell you that that is okay because we're constantly giving people things that they don't need when we do have access to the one thing that they need, and that is Jesus. Folks, give people Jesus. Give people life. In Jesus' name, healing comes. 
In the name of Christ, we can offer hope to the hurting. We can offer joy to the broken. We can offer peace to the worried. We can offer life to the dead. We can offer salvation through the Son. Folks, I'm here today to tell you that the gospel still works. It didn't stop working in the book of Acts. It didn't stop working in the New Testament. The gospel still works. So for some of us today, the question that we need to ask ourselves is this. What is on the other side of your obedience? Let's chew on that for a second. What is on the other side of your obedience? St. Joseph, God's sovereign. Yes, God is sovereign. God has a plan. But God calls us to be obedient. God has given us a free will so that we can choose to obey or to disobey. So what is on the other side? Whose life could be impacted by your obedience or, Lord forbid, your disobedience? See, today we can identify with both Peter and John and also the lame man. What a beautiful picture this story is gospel. You know who the lame man is? The lame man is you. The lame man is me. At birth, we were unable to walk separate from God. Just like the lame man, he was poor. We're spiritually poor. We're spiritually broken. He sat outside the temple. We were outside of the kingdom. And Jesus was asked about this. I love what he says in Matthew 18. Jesus said, if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier that one sheep has found him than about the 99 that did not wander off. And in the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. Folks, you are the lost sheep. I am the lost sheep. We are the one that the Savior has pursued with total abandon, looking, pursuing us, speaking to our hearts. And what a beautiful picture this is of the gospel. And the good news is that because of the grace that comes with Jesus, we were lame, but we're not anymore because we have now been healed. So now we stand in salvation. We walk. We went from death to life. We have access to that today. That's the faith that we walk in. Maybe some of you today, you need to follow the good shepherd for the first time. Maybe you've done this religious ritual, you've done all this, but you say, man, if I had to be honest, I've never followed the good shepherd. Maybe today you need to accept the gift for the first time in your life. For many of you, today I challenge you, church, may we do as Peter and John did. May we follow the good shepherd with reckless abandon, giving our full devotion our full attention, our full love to Jesus. And folks, if you follow the Good Shepherd, you will encounter hurting people. May we have open eyes to see 
May we have open hands to give. May we have open hearts to love. So that one day, with authority, we can look at the hurting people around us and say, silver and gold, I do not have. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, give up and walk. Would you pray with me this morning?